let's talk about sex. Or, specifically, sex toys. In the world of sex toys, the dildo is now mainstream. Walk into any sex store and you will see a wide variety of dildos. Plus, this summer, two shows on Netflix, Orange is the New Black and Sense8, featured strap-on dildos in brief but memorable scenes. But it wasn't so long ago that the dildo was illegal. Writer Hallie Lieberman is working on a book about the history of sex toys. For Bitch's Blue print issue, she wrote an article about the surprising history of dildos in the United States. This is an excerpt of her article, If You Mold It, They Will Come. Since we live in an age when any woman can waltz into Target and emerge bearing a shopping bag full of 50 Shades of Grey branded cock rings, Trojan vibrators, and strawberry lube, it's hard to imagine that sex toys were once controversial within the feminist movement. But 40 years ago, sex toys were highly contentious, and their path to acceptance within the feminist movement started in an unlikely place the basement of a man named Gosnell Duncan. In 1965, Duncan was welding the bed of a truck on his overnight shift at the International Harvester Company in Chicago when the vehicle fell on top of him. Within seconds, the 37-year-old emigre from Grenada was paralyzed from the waist down. A skilled dancer, Duncan was devastated. He would never have an erection again. Duncan's girlfriend didn't seem to mind. They were married in the hospital. Still, Duncan was dissatisfied, and he began considering penile substitutes. But in 1965, his options were bleak. As Duncan became involved in the disability movement in the late 1960s, he learned that he wasn't alone. Many other disabled people wanted to have good sex, but didn't know where to turn to for help. While many saw themselves as sexual beings, their doctors, not to mention the sexual revolution, did not. Even in the disability movement at large, many chose to focus on other, more serious issues. Duncan began brainstorming on his own about how he could make sex aids for the disabled. When we spoke in 2013, Duncan told me that when he traveled to an Indianapolis disability conference in 1971, he was thrilled to see a section on sex and disability. During the session, Duncan patiently listened to speakers discuss their challenges with sex, but didn't hear many solutions. He saw his chance and took it. Surrounded by his target market, he asked if they would purchase a dildo. The answer was a resounding yes. Duncan returned to Brooklyn armed with confidence and began investigating the dildos that were already on the market. In the 1970s, most dildos were made of heat-treated rubber and would melt with heat. Many dildos were also made of irritating materials and had strong chemical odors. He wanted to make a dildo that wouldn't melt, wouldn't irritate people's bodies, and didn't smell toxic. At the time, dildos were low quality for a number of reasons, the biggest being that they were technically illegal. The Comstock Law, a century-old federal anti-obscenity law, barred sending sex devices through the mail. The dicey legal status of dildos discouraged many from working or innovating within the industry. 
But Duncan didn't care about social acceptability or legal problems. Unlike most of the men who had come before him, and they were usually always men. He didn't just want to make dildos for money. He saw himself as a healer, and he simply wanted to help. He began by investigating new, safer materials for dildos. While working as an auto mechanic, he'd been impressed by the pliable silicone that didn't melt even when exposed to the intense heat of an engine. This heat resistance meant that silicone could be sterilized in boiling water, which allowed for safely sharing dildos between partners. Plus, silicone lacked the strong chemical odors found in other materials. The only problem was that the silicone used in automobile parts was not exactly safe for the body. He got in touch with none other than General Electric. Duncan sent their office a letter saying that he needed a rubber-based product that is non-irritating to the human body. They put him in touch with a chemist who helped Duncan perfect the ideal silicone, smooth, flesh-like, and safe for insertion into the human body. After they finally hit on a formula, Duncan set up a dildo lab in his basement. He began by making a model out of clay then a rubber mold after that. The silicone dildos were produced under the brand name Paramount Therapeutic Products. Now that the safer, non-melting dildos existed, it was a challenge to get them to market, in part because of some feminists' resistance to using a sex toy that was modeled on a penis. But in the late 1970s, Eve's Garden in New York became the first feminist sex store to sell Duncan's dildos. The only feminist sex shop in the country, they stocked a model called the Venus, a smooth, pale pink and chocolate brown variety that looked more like a finger than a penis. Today, women-owned sex toy stores have spread from the coast into middle America and dildos are commonplace. Gosnell Duncan's Venus didn't end the dildo debates, but it was a start. Hallie Lieberman is a writer working on a book about the history of sex toys. She received her PhD in 2014 from the University of Wisconsin-Madison, and she blogs at dildoographer.com. You can read her whole article, If You Mold It, They Will Come, in Bitch's Blue Issue, and online at bitchmedia.org. <laughs> 